Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of Romans. Today is episode 522. Looking at Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. Let's read our passage. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. We have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut, and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. This is Paul's letter to the church in Rome. His intention is to go to Rome after he accompanies the collection back to Jerusalem. He wants to go and help the church in Rome be strengthened. He feels he's got something to add. He's an apostle, and there's been no apostle to Rome yet that we both know of. And so he thinks he can go and help the church to be strengthened, to grow, to be edified. He's writing this letter. Basically, it's a big exposition of the gospel. And he's beginning with the, well, the beginning point of the gospel. That is, people are in sin and need of a savior. And so he's been laying out the case that all people are sinners before God, that everyone is responsible for their own sin. He's really been hammering the point about the Jews, that the Jews are not in this special status where they are exempt from God's judgment, but they're subject to judgment just like everyone else. And so he's wrapping up this segment here, and he begins in verse 9 with, what then? Well, what then? is following his argument that the Jews have no exemption from judgment. So, now he's going to tell us what then. Are we any better off? Well, curious here, he uses we. Are we any better off? Who is we? Better off than who? Better off than the Jews? Because that's who he's been talking about. Well, I think he is talking about that. I think the we is just kind of a, a generic we. And it doesn't really matter because he's going to go into the universal nature of everything. So are we any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. So it doesn't really matter who we is. The issue here is everybody. The Jews, the non-Jews, the Jews, the Greeks, they're all under sin. Everybody. Then in verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Well, this statement here in verse 10 through verse 12 is a quote from Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. And this first part, he actually changes it a little bit. Here he says, there is no one righteous. Well, the psalm says there's no one who does good. But Paul uses righteous here. Now, remember, righteous is a big deal in this letter. Righteous, righteousness, and justify are all part of this uh, word group that all, all work together. 
He uses righteous for do good. We'll see do good again in verse 12, and that matches the psalm. But notice the universality of this. There is no one righteous, not even one. So twice there, it's there's nobody. Verse 11, there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Verse 12, all have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. So how many times to use no one or all? So just that little segment there is eight times he uses this universal of no one or all. Everyone is a sinner. So even if you could be justified by following the law, right here he's saying nobody can do that. Everyone is a sinner. No one does what is right. So you can't be justified anyway for doing right. But even if you could, it doesn't matter because no one can do right. In verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Then into 14, their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. So you see here the throat, tongues, lips, and mouth. He's describing the sinfulness of human speech here. And he uses several Testament quotes. Uh, the throat and tongues is from Psalm 5, verse 9. The venom's viper under the lips is Psalm 140, verse 3. Mouthful of cursing and bitterness at Psalm 10, verse 7. And so just using colorful language here, the various parts of the mouth that just describe that Human speech is sinful. Then in verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. That's a quote from Psalm 59, 7 and 8. Then he sums up this part in verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's from Psalm 36, verse 1. So all this, he's, he's making the point that everyone is a sinner. People don't naturally seek God. People run from God. People hide from God. Everyone turns from God. No one seeks God. All have turned away from God. And as a result of that, they live lives of sinfulness. Now, verse 19, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. Now, this is it's just worded kind of awkwardly, but now we know that whatever the law says, now he's just been quoting from Psalms primarily here, and that's not part of what we traditionally call the law, the, the Mosaic law, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. So I think when he says law here, he's not really referring to the Mosaic law. He's just referring to the Old Testament, the law of God. And whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law. Now, who's subject to the law? You could say everybody, but I think he specifically means the Jews here. Because they're the ones who have the Old Testament. So it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut. Now, this is language from the, that time, which would be used in a courtroom. The kind of language and, and what it means here is the defendant has no more to say in response to the charges. So your charges are read, 
you have the opportunity as a defendant to speak against the charges. And after you've said all you can say, then your mouth is shut. And its language appears a few places in the Old Testament. So the idea here is subject to the law, and you know you're guilty before the law, and you really have nothing more to say in your own defense here. And I think this is specifically referring to the Jewish people, because he's talking about the law there. Then, and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. So, obviously, now he's not speaking about just the Jews, the whole world. And I don't think he means the whole world, everyone other than the Jews, but the Jews and the rest of the world. So everybody may become subject to God's judgment. This word subject, some translations say accountable. The only place in the Bible this word occurs. And it's a legal, technical term where the accused has lost all the possibility of disproving a charge. And so therefore it's essentially lost the case. It's, so both those phrases there, it's a similar kind of thing. You've got nothing more to say. Nothing more to say in your own defense, and you're essentially standing there guilty with no defense. And that's, we're summing up this section here, which everybody's guilty before God. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody turns from God. No one follows God. Everybody does what is in their own hearts. No one is righteous, and everyone is guilty. In verse 20, for no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. So here we have the word justified. Remember, justified is part of that same word group as righteous. So we begin at verse 9, where there's no one righteous. Now in verse 20, and no one will be justified. Justified means to be made righteous, to be declared righteous by God. You're not going to be justified by the works of the law. There's debate here. Is he really referring to the Old Testament law here, or is he just referring to basically doing good works? I think it's the, the more generic, just doing good works. You're not going to be justified by doing what is right. And justified means declared righteous. So doing good doesn't make you righteous. So what is the purpose of the law then? He says, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Now, What's he mean there? Well, the Old Testament, what's, what's it do? Is the purpose of the law of the Old Testament, so do these things and you will be saved? No, it's showing God's standards. Salvation has always been by faith. Justification has always been by faith. But we have the Bible given to us to show us God's standards. This is what God thinks about these things. This is the kind of behavior that God wants of us. These are the kinds of behavior God doesn't want from us. And so it's not that following those behaviors makes us right with God, but we see God's standards of behavior laid out in the Bible for us to follow. But salvation has always been by faith, justification by faith. No one can be justified by doing right. It doesn't work that way. But then along with that, no one can do right. That was the whole first part of this. There's no one who does right. People don't do right. And so he's finished up this section on the, the universal sinfulness of people. Now he's going to start into the solution. And the solution is 
justification by faith. It's a common understanding amongst a lot of people of, at the end, when the God judges people, he takes the scales and weighs the good I've done versus the bad I've done. And as long as the good outweighs the bad, I'm okay. Paul's saying, no, no, it's not the way it works. Because, one, no one really does good, so the good does not outweigh the bad. But that's not how you're made right with God. God doesn't judge the good versus the bad, whichever wins out. That's the state you're in. It's justification, being made right in the sight of God, only occurs through faith. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through the book of Romans.